For you who are history buffs or who love history, next month will represent an important anniversary. 100 years ago, Franz Ferdinand visited Sarajevo. Franz Ferdinand was the emperor-in-waiting of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. Little did he know that as he went to Sarajevo, there were assassins that aligned the street where he would be passing. Well prepared, one of the assassins fired a shot. They missed him, but they struck two of his aides, badly injured, but they lived. Ultimately, Franz Ferdinand would actually go visit them in the hospital. He would be safe, but he would leave Sarajevo. And as he was leaving, his driver happened to take a wrong turn down a street. And on that street was Gavrilo Princip. And he had a gun. And he assassinated Ferdinand. And that assassination set off a cataclysmic chain of events. Ferdinand's government, Austria-Hungarian government, blamed the Serbian government for the actions. The Serbian government was backed by the Russian government. They uh, were at odds with the Austria-Hungarian Empire for the territory they were trying to take uh, in the region. So in an an effort to avoid war, the Austria-Hungarian Empire set down some terms for the Serbian Empire, that they, or the, the government, that they knew they would not be able to accept. And they won the support of Germany along the way. The Serbian uh, government mobilized their army. Soon thereafter, the Austro-Hungarian government declared war. So what began with a wrong turn down a street, assassination, led to one of the most devastating wars in human history. 16 million people would be killed in World War I. And that's how it started. A chain reaction set off that would lead to many, many deaths. Generational impact. A chain reaction is a series of events caused by a previous event. Wrong turn, millions of death. Smallest event can lead to generational impact. As you're sitting there, I wonder what events, what chain reactions have affected your own life this morning. I wonder what chain reactions your life will affect. Jesus' life set off a chain reaction. Many events for salvation and for judgment. And Jesus understood that his life would do both. And that's what we're going to see in John 9 this morning. John 9 is where we'll be this morning. If you're just coming and joining us maybe for the first or second time, we've been in this gospel together for a while now. We just saw last week in John 8 and in previous chapters, Jesus teaching. He has been teaching about who he is, the light of the world. He just taught how he relates to Abraham. Today, we will see Jesus in action, the light 
in action. This is what I want you to see about the light. The light reveals and conceals. The light reveals and conceals. Life and death hang on how you see the light. Light reveals and conceals. Life and death hang on how you see the light. So turn to John 9. And I'm going to begin reading the first 12 verses where I want you to see clearly the light gives sight. That's the first point if you're taking notes. The light gives sight. John 9, 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. When you're reading the Bible, as with any history or piece of literature, the authors are always making decisions. They decide what to put in, and they decide what to leave out. So after a chapter with Jesus teaching the entire time, here John gives us a story of action. And it's a chapter dedicated completely to this blind man from birth. I want you to imagine that. This man has never seen anything. He's never seen an animal. He's never seen a human face. Imagine your life if you'd never seen anything. Blind from birth. Everything he knows about the world has been described to him. He's heard. He's never seen. And Jesus' disciples want to know who sinned. His parents or him. They believe his condition is specifically related to sin. It was a widely held belief in that day. Now, in one sense, it was. All disease, all death is related to sin. The problem is when we move from 
that general truth to specifically trying to tie a sin to a specific consequences. There's a few times in the scriptures when a specific sin leads to a specific outcome. But the Lord always makes that clear. So be warned against teachers that try to always tie a specific outcome to a specific sin. Jesus is clear this is not about someone's sin. His blindness, surprisingly, verse 3, is that the works of God might be displayed in him. Don't think for a minute this was haphazard on God's part, that God made this man blind just so the blindness could be taken away by Jesus. God had glorious works planned, which we will see. I do want you to see, though, bigger picture. God does not waste any trial of any of his children. In Christ Jesus... Your trial is not the deviation from the plan. It's not the the, the movement from the plan. It's the plan. Your trial is not the deviation from the plan. It's the plan. So if the disciples here are confused about this blind man, imagine the blind man. Don't you think he wondered why? The Lord does not ask, does not expect you to understand why. He does simply command you to trust. If you're a Christian, through all the struggle, he's given you everything in his word to trust him. And the cross and the resurrection of Jesus mean that trial must work for your good. For all that you don't understand. And the new heavens and the new earth, your sure confidence in that mean the trial is not pointless. You are being prepared for glory. And the trial is merely a tool to that end. His blindness, eternally planned by God for His good, God's glory. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. When Jesus says while it is day, he's speaking of his incarnation. The night, the darkness, is his crucifixion. The work will be over. That's why he says, as long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus declared this in the last chapter. So now what he's doing is he's showing what it means that light has come into darkness, the unstoppable chain reaction that is being set off by Jesus. As the Son, Jesus understood clearly he submitted to the works the Father had given to him to do before the cross. And what is glorious here is this blind man is about to be swept up into the works of God. Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud. He pastes the mud on his eye mixed with saliva. It's a a paste that the blind man would have to go wash away. He's very intentional in the way he goes about this. 
I think for anyone who has eyes to see, we're being given a, a clue, another clue as to who Jesus is. In the very beginning of the scriptures, we read in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. In a very similar way, the very one through whom all things were made is, is now not giving life but sight from the dirt of the ground. The creator has mysteriously come into his creation. He's recreating what's been destroyed. And so this blind man very intentionally is told to go to the pool of Siloam, which John tells us means sent. The sent one sends him to the sent pool. And he comes back seeing. The light comes into the world and a blind man sees. Now, if you're like me, you read this and you wanted to know his interaction with Jesus as soon as it was over. John doesn't tell us. Maybe Jesus had left. But John does slowly give us more information. We learn that this man wasn't just blind. We also learn he was a beggar. He was infamous in that town for being a blind beggar. And what do you see as you read this? You see that he was noticed, but he was not known. He was noticed, but he wasn't seen. He was present, but he was constantly avoided. How different is Jesus? We read, he passed by. But Jesus did not keep passing He saw that blind man from birth. And the man whom so many others had avoided, Jesus moves toward him. And he very carefully touches his eyes. This is the Jesus who we saw last chapter in this bold, powerful confrontation with the religious leaders who is... So gentle, so kind to this blind man. Isn't that why we love Jesus? Isn't that why our hearts burn when we hear of Jesus? We want people with power to be like this. A man who's unafraid and bold and gentle. Strong and has power, but never uses that power to crush the weak or to manipulate, to serve himself. Jesus shows unexpected compassion. One of the glories of the church is that Jesus hasn't just given us sight, he's given, or he's actually, he's changed our sight. We, we see each other in a way that the world doesn't see. We see people in the world in the way that the world doesn't see itself. Ask the Lord to change your sight more and more. In the world, it's not just what you see, it's how you see what you see. This country is filled with people who are so consumed with status or what nation you're from, what your job title is, where you rank in the hierarchy. Something very different is happening here among us. 
The gospel has made us see the cross of Christ as wisdom. And so it's changed the way we see each other. Now, some of you know very well, I have naturally nothing in common with you. It's probably painfully awkward for you to talk to me. But I see you different than I see so many other people. We have what is supernatural in common. We have the gospel And I share with you a unity and you with me a a unity that is far deeper than any mere cultural affinities. And we want to see those who do not know and treasure this gospel as those to be one. I want you to see the church with the glory and the joy and the love that Jesus sees it. To never grow tired of that. Jesus gives us sight and he changes our sight. And what's remarkable here is that those who could see could not even believe their eyes. They have this dispute over whether this is the blind beggar. And he's over there saying, it's me. (laughs) It's me. And they ask him who did this. And what does he say in verse 11? The man called Jesus. So he's not seen Jesus, but he's heard of Jesus. And clearly others had too. The man called Jesus had a reputation in the town. But irony of ironies, at this point, Jesus is nowhere to be seen. The light comes, and it means that the blind man sees what he's never seen before. His life has changed, but he still hasn't seen Jesus. The light gives sight. Number two. The light divides. The light divides. We'll see this in verses 13 through 34. The light divides. Look down. We're going to read this section of this chapter. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of, uh, the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he has been born blind, but now how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. but We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. This entire text progresses here from one blind man with his neighbors now to the neighborhood synagogue, the local Pharisees. And we learn even more. We learn, verse 14, this is the Sabbath. We've already had a Sabbath controversy in the Gospel of John in chapter 5. And here we're having another one. And the Pharisees aren't interested in the fact that the blind man sees, but verse 15, how he sees. And the blind man recounts it again. Mud on my eyes, I washed, I see. And so the question here is, did Jesus break Sabbath? Now, you don't feel the weight of this, but for generations, generations, breaking Sabbath was a big deal. And the Jewish tradition had formulated rules. There was about 39 categories for how you could break Sabbath. One of them was a practice called kneading, in which you would take mud or dirt, you would you'd actually mix, mix it with water or saliva, and you'd make a paste. Uh, most likely this was done for pottery or pots. So the reasoning could have been, this man wasn't near death. He's been blind from birth. This could have waited until the next day, Jesus. Or you did a practice that was specifically forbidden on this day. Why do it on Sabbath? Did Jesus violate the Mosaic law or did he not? Now what's interesting is Jesus is absent. And yet he's divided the Pharisees over himself once again. And the division is, verse 16, in one corner, there's this group that says he's not from God since he doesn't keep Sabbath. In the other corner, there's the group that says, how can a sinner do these signs? A word on signs. Notice that in the scripture, sinners actually at times do signs. Pharaoh's court did signs. So it really won't do to say just because there were some signs performed, it can't be a sinner. Miracles, signs, they're not actually the conclusive proof that someone is from God. I think that that group reasoned, they concluded rightly, but they did so on a faulty premise. Signs, though, can be the guarantee. So there's a pattern in Scripture that when God gave new revelation, when he uh, raised up new messengers, when there was a new redemptive event, God attested to them through signs. It's the pattern of Scripture. But the Pharisees, who based their conclusion here that this man can't be from God because of the law of Moses, they would be on stronger ground unless how they interpret Moses is wrong. The irony here 
is that the religious leaders have no idea who Jesus is. And so what do they do? They ask the blind man. What we should see is that this blind man is forced to take sides here. And what does he do? He sides with Jesus. He's a prophet. Now, at the very least, he's saying he's a man come from God. He's more more than this. But this is progress, is it not? Earlier, he called him the man called Jesus. John is showing us the blind man is seeing more and more. Now, when it comes down to it for you, side with Jesus. You may not ever be called in front of scary religious authorities. You may. It might be your friends in that social setting. It might be the colleagues at work. Do they know where you stand with Jesus? That might be the cost you're called to bear. Or maybe when that sin tempts you again, which side will you take? How are you helping others side with Jesus? We're so meant to be doing that for each other here. Do you you pray for this body? The names of people in this body? Such a basic way to help someone follow Jesus. You, you seeking to win people to Jesus. Don't ever leave them alone outside of the church. Bring them in. We, we may have to stand alone. We're not meant to live the Christian life alone. Jesus divides. It's unavoidable. But safety and life are always found when you side with Jesus. This once blind man knows very little. But he knows whose side to take when it comes down to it. And beginning there in verse 18, at least some of these Jews don't believe he was the man born blind. They, they call his parents. The blind beggar had a family. They're still alive. I, I couldn't help as I thought about this text wondering what this blind man's life was like. Why was he forced to beg? John doesn't tell us. I mean, clearly if Jesus' own disciples wondered why this man was born blind and and they thought it was shameful, imagine the way his parents must have thought about this. And then the religious leaders at the synagogue call them in. Is this your son? The one born blind? How does he see? I mean, imagine what was wrapped up in that. The response is so telling. They take ownership of him as their son. They have no idea how he sees who's responsible for it. Now, I have to believe this was not the first time that this blind man was hung out to dry. That he was so publicly humiliated. Rejected again in this way. And here he is, alone, again, There must have been so many lonely moments in his life. This one's different. Because for the first time, he can see his parents' face as they do it. For the first time, he sees rejection. He doesn't just hear it. He doesn't just feel it. He is of age. 
And so he's brought in to be asked. And given that John very specifically tells us why they did this, it's so worth reading again. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Very simply, they feared men. When the time for choosing came, they feared confessing Jesus. They chose the side of the Pharisees. Can can you relate to that? To my shame, I can. I can. How do we stop fearing men? We get a bigger vision of God. Right? Ed Welch said this so well, you fear men because people are big and God is small. Who you see is so big, the God that you do not see so small. Reason with yourself about people. Man is but a breath, temporary, created, ruled. God reigns from eternity to eternity. The Creator. Ruler over all, unrivaled, does not give his glory to another. And you want what? From men? Their approval? In Christ Jesus, you are loved and approved forever. Before the God of the universe, you fear that they'll reject you or not associate with you. That's what the blind man's parents feared. The Father will not cast out His Son. So you who have trusted in the Son and are united to the Son, He will not cast you out. You, think of this, are as entitled to heaven as is the Son. Don't listen to yourself. Reason the Scriptures with yourself. Let the Scriptures, not the world, determine how you see They feared this. They're going to put us out of the synagogue. And so their fear of man led them to hang their son out to dry. Because it meant they would not be. An exhortation for us all. Don't be gentle with this sin in your heart. As with any sin, it will not just hurt you. It will hurt other people that you love. So what did the religious leaders do? Call the blind man back in. And the blind man, when he's asked who he is, gives an answer for the ages, does he not? (laughs) Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Glory, what he says to them. This chain reaction has now led to the blind man making this confession. He's only speaking physically. But he is speaking better than he knows yet. Their interest, remarkably, is in how Jesus opened his eyes. And they're seeing right past the fact that his eyes are opened. It's remarkable. The blind man whom Jesus did not pass by, whom Jesus moved straight toward, 
these Pharisees have not one time rejoiced that he sees. Do you see how blind they are? How blind to glory they are. You you can see, but you can't see. Sin is so enslaving. Sin is also so blinding. Jesus would not pass by the man. This world passes by things of eternal consequence all the time. The world passes by the church as if it's not even there. Can't you see this as a work of God? I mean, only the work of Jesus explains how Russians and Americans can be in the same gospel congregation. Indians and Pakistanis, Nepalis, black, white, Asian, African, different cultures, economic status. Where else do you see this in this country? Only the gospel can do this. It's not natural. This is supernatural. Don't fail to see the glory. Our Lord sees it. They're divided over how he did it. And now this former blind man, verse 27, remarkably is not just seeing his Pharisees, his local Pharisees for the first time. He's seeing right through them. He's got a personality. I told you already. You wouldn't listen. You want to become his disciples? They were divided with Jesus over Abraham. Now they're divided over Moses. You're his disciples. We're the disciples of Moses. We do not know where this man comes from. We know God spoke to Moses. They speak better than they know. If they knew where Jesus came from, they would have believed him. Pharisees don't see how blind they are. And again, irony in John's gospel, the blind man is now the guide to the religious leaders. He is seeing, they're not. And he testifies to Jesus. Who is showing the courage here? Strangely, the blind man has seen someone bigger than the Pharisees. He does not fear them. Do not know where he comes from and he opened my eyes. He teaches them. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, the blind man actually knows his scriptures. Many texts, Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. He hears their cry. Psalm 66, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened And in the entire Old Testament, you will not read of a man born blind who's then given sight. The former blind man sees what the blind leaders do not. He were not from God. He could do nothing. So there's all this confusion and division and light and clarity are breaking through. The chain reaction began with the blind man's eyes being opened. It's continuing. The light is dividing. Verse 34, you were born in sin. Would you teach us? Will you be the judge? Who here is really stuck in sin? Who here is blind? Who here sees? You all know this. You go into an old abandoned house, room, please not your room, 
You turn on the lights, and the cockroaches and the termites suddenly disappear. They run, right, to the crevices. The light doesn't create what's there. The light exposes what's there. Termites, cockroaches, they're all running from the light. And then you begin to see what you couldn't see. As light exposes darkness, what loves darkness runs from the light. While others want to be in the light. And they start to see everything by the light. This is what the gospel does for us spiritually. Cockroaches are a parable for the world. You cannot stop what light is doing as it brings light to the world. Now what's the light doing even this morning? As it floods your heart. As it exposes you to yourself. Before God. Don't run from that. Come to the light. There is life in the light. Ask Jesus to change your heart deeply. Because when you bring that to Jesus, it does not bring his condemnation. He took that on the cross. It brings his compassion. It brings his power to change you. Only with Jesus But the Pharisees love the darkness. And they cast him out. Oh, it shouldn't be lost on you how upside down all of this is. They go initially to the Pharisees for guidance, spiritual guidance. And it ends with this once blind man being cast out. And he sees it all with his own eyes. The light really does divide. And finally... In this chapter, we see, number three, the light demands a response. The light demands a response. Verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. All of this back and forth over Jesus. Jesus, nowhere to be seen. Until he hears that the former blind man had been cast out of the synagogue. Cast out by the religious leaders. Jesus found that man. For the religious leaders to cast him out of the synagogue was to cast him into the arms of Jesus. Do not miss this. Jesus found him again. Jesus moves toward. He finds. He gives sight to blind people. If you know Jesus, it's because he found you. He came to you. Think 
much on the fact that Jesus found you. And it means that you can be so confident in Jesus and his love for you and his ownership of you. I mean, what did this blind man have to offer Jesus? Is it not the case that Jesus acting out of who he is as God's unique son with life and light and power in himself comes to him and brings life and light that he's the one that has everything to offer to the blind man and he gives it all freely. Gives it, gives him himself. And the same for you. The gospel tells you what you would not otherwise believe. Jesus found you as a blind beggar and he gave you sight and he brings you who have no right to it to his side and he keeps you there I wonder if you have dark thoughts of Jesus or maybe great and bright thoughts of of the world because you've forgotten to think much of the fact that it is Jesus who finds you who comes to you that's what frees you This seemed to hit a nerve last week. I'm going to say it again this week. You will never be free to struggle until you quit struggling to be free. Never. Jesus has set you free. So now you're free to struggle. Knowing that if you see, it's because Jesus set you free. And that's what he's doing to this blind man. He's setting him free. He tests him. Pharisees wanted to know what this man thought of Jesus. Jesus now wants to know what he thinks of Jesus. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Believe in, not about, but in Jesus. So what has he done? He's opened his eyes physically. Now he's trying to get into his soul. Where are you spiritually? What do you see? Oh, this man is so ready to see. Verse 36, who is he? That I may believe in him. Just not long ago, he's, he's blind. And now Jesus says, you've seen him. He's speaking to you. It's dawning on the blind man. Who else opens the eyes of the blind? Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. After all of this back and forth, finally, someone has seen Jesus and responded to Jesus with the glory and the worship that is his due. How are you responding to the light? Jesus has come toward the world to live, to die for blind people, for dead people, spiritually. This world is so mired in sin and it's just looking for redemption in all the wrong places. Jesus has won redemption once for all at the cross and he has been raised from the dead right now alive do you see the goodness of Jesus the life in Jesus Jesus has come for you turn to him trust Jesus see him for who he is do what the blind man did simply believe and worship because Jesus demands a response And in Jesus' world, he is always getting a response. Why does Jesus say, for judgment I came into the world? I mean, didn't he come to save? Yes. But he understood that that implicitly meant 
those who do not look to him in faith will be judged. He will say, but that necessarily entails he will judge. Some will see. Some will come out of the darkness and into the light. But those who think they see will become blind. Like these Pharisees who were overhearing all of this. They pipe in. Are we blind also? You were blind. You would have no guilt. What does he mean? If you were blind and you were seeking sight, spiritual sight like this blind man, wanting to know who I really am, you would have no guilt. But he says your guilt remains. What's their guilt? It's unbelief. They will not entrust themselves to him. They say they see, but what they see by how they see is wrong. They see by the light of Moses and they read Moses wrongly. So they see by darkness and their guilt remains. The light of the world exposes who is in darkness and who has come to light. So what do we see in John 9? We see a chain reaction. Jesus brings light into the world and it moves from a blind man gaining physical and spiritual sight to many there being exposed that they are in the darkness, that they themselves are blind. Jesus's life brings light and it reveals and it conceals. And eternity hangs on how you look to or what you do with the light, how you see it. Friends, that's been the aim of this church for 10 years. is to bear witness to the light of Jesus Christ in this dark place. For the light of the gospel to go forward in the darkness. Praise God, next week we celebrate 10 years since this church began. We will see together God's gift of faithfulness and rejoice over that. We will also look forward in faith asking that what the Lord has begun here would be a chain reaction for the gospel in this place and wherever else the Lord would be pleased to use us. More churches planted where there were no churches, more blind people coming to see the light of Jesus Christ. As those who have been found by Jesus Christ, we long to be used by Jesus to proclaim his gospel and in our life together to display his gospel in this world where Jesus deserves glory and praise. We're no different than this blind man whose name remarkably we do not know. But Jesus does. Because his name, like every other saint, throughout history is written in the book of life and will be held out to the universe by the Father. Spiritually, we are nothing more than blind beggars. And Jesus has set free, given us sight, taken away our guilt that we too might see and then say to Jesus, Lord, I believe, and then worship.